So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I do want to give just a big shout out to any guests that we might have. We're really grateful that you're here with us today. Uh, we don't think that it's by accident that people show up here. We think it's because the Holy Spirit's doing something in your life and he wants to meet with you. And so we're excited to see what, what he does today. Uh, if this is your first, second, third-ish time visiting, you haven't filled out a Connect card, hopefully you got one when you came in. If not, stop by the Welcome area afterwards. We'd love to get that info from you and to meet you just to say hi. And for every Connect card that gets turned in, we give $5 to Project Just Because. So that's a good way to make us give to other charities in, in town, right? Uh, Project Just Because gives to families in need here in Hopkinton. So just one way we want to give back. So again, if you're a visitor, thank you. We're really excited that you're here. And like Pastor Rob said, we're going to continue uh, with our series on the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's probably one of the more talked about subjects uh, or sections of the Bible uh, in churches for the past couple of thousand years, I'm sure. The Lord's Prayer. But what's interesting about it, if you look, there's two sections in the New Testament where it's put out. It's Matthew 6 and then Luke 11. And Luke 11, 1 starts off by telling us that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now, what's interesting about that is that the disciples actually had to ask Jesus to teach them how to do something. Jesus talks a lot in the Gospels, right? I don't think that's being sacrilegious to say. He, he's pretty free with his, uh, his teaching content. But this is the only time that the disciples actually asked Jesus to speak on a specific subject. Only one time, and it was about prayer. They didn't want to leave this one to chance. They wanted to know exactly what Jesus' thoughts were on this subject. And so they asked him while they had him there. Prayer was just that important to them. And learning how to pray the way that Jesus wanted them to pray was that important to them. And I know that sometimes we can think of the Lord's Prayer as kind of being childish, maybe. Maybe a little beginner-level prayers, right? Uh, you, you learn the Lord's Prayer when you're in confirmation or Sunday school, or when you're a new Christian. It's one of the first things that you're taught. And so it can be easy to kind of dismiss it a little bit, or just to see it as this, this beginning thing that we learn. But this is Jesus's specific teaching on how to pray. So I think that in and of itself makes it a pretty important thing for us to learn. So I just want to encourage us, as we're learning about the Lord's Prayer this week and next week, to kind of put away the thoughts of, okay, I've heard this one before, or, you know, this is for beginners, and to just allow yourself to really dig into it a little bit more, to see some of the depth in what Jesus was trying to teach us in these few short lines, and his kind of main and one and only teaching on prayer. He was, he was teaching us something here. There's depth here that's really worth digging into. Is that okay? Can we do that? Put away the, the old thoughts and just open up your minds. Wipe the slate clean and we'll, we'll start over. We'll start to, to put it together a little bit, see what Jesus is doing. Last week, Rob talked about the first kind of three stanzas of it. Our Father who art in heaven, 
holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this week I want to continue with the, ne the next two. Those three are all about adoring God. They're prayers of adoration of who God is and what he does. And now we're going to talk about how we can request things from Jesus. Does that sound interesting to you? How do you get what you need? That's what Jesus tells us about here. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He tells us to ask God boldly every single day to ask for what it is that we need because we love and are served and are loved by a God who loves us without fail every single day. There's a British theologian I like named Simon Ponsonby. It's a very British name. And uh, he said this about prayer. He said that prayer is the pathway to the provisions that God has laid out for us. Prayer is the pathway to the provisions God has laid out for us. If you've ever struggled to figure out how to get the things that God wants to give to you, here it is, simply. That's what he's saying. Pray, ask. It doesn't have to be this huge big worked up thing. Just ask him what it is that you need. And if you're at that place, then this is a good morning. Think together we're going to engage with this reality that we need to be reliant on God. That's what Jesus teaches us here, that that's part of what following Jesus looks like is to be reliant on him. So this morning, let's kind of pull aside the curtain of self-reliance and of having it all together and I encourage you just to let God see the needs that you have, the places where you're relying on him, where you have needs for him to come and to work in your life. And as we begin this morning, I wanted us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. We did that last week, and I wanted to do that again this week. Uh, but I'm going to make you get a little up close and personal. Is that okay? Cool. Well, if you want to stand and grab somebody else's hand. Maybe cross aisles a little bit. And I want us to pray this prayer together uh, as one body. Here, I'll jump down, Nancy. I'll get in between you guys. There we go. Cool. If you can go to the next slide there for us, please. We'll pray what you see on the screen. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May what you want to happen be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us today our sins, just as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. Keep us from falling into sin when we are tempted and save us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Thanks for indulging me a little bit this morning. But I think there's something good that happens when we pray Jesus' prayer all as one body, hands joined. So as we begin, Jesus is very clear who it is that we're praying to, right? What's he say? He says, when you pray, say this, our Father. It's earth-shattering and it's not earth-shattering all at the same time. It broke conceptions, and it seemed like the most natural thing that we could have prayed. It's, it's basic, and yet we could spend the rest of our life thinking about those two words 
and still probably not come to the end of it, of the reality of what that is. Our Father. When Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' really, really long pre, uh, sermon that he gives. And if you were sitting there, it probably would be roughly a three to six hour sermon. I'm not giving one of those today, so you're welcome. That's a long time. But when he follows this, he says in Matthew 7, he tells us how to ask. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Even though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's kind of a, sometimes Jesus uses language that I wouldn't feel comfortable using in, in my sermon. I wouldn't call you evil. That's a little stronger than I would go. Uh, maybe because I'm on the same boat, you know. But even us, essentially even us, when we fail, and we don't always know how to give the best things to the people that we love. Sometimes we don't even care about giving the best things to the people that we love, if we're being honest. But even in that, we still hit it out of the park every once in a while, right? We still do good things. And so if us as failures, as people who don't always make it, can do that, think about how often, how good the gifts are that God, who's perfect, gives to us. How continually perfect and good those gifts are. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And I think the beautiful reality for us as followers of Jesus is that we aren't bringing our needs to a disconnected being who is ambivalent about his desires for us. We're bringing our needs to our Father who always gives good gifts. Every single time he gives good gifts to us. And there's real power in asking him to provide. Not just assuming that he'll do it, but in actually asking him to work in our lives, to do something. R.T. France is a theologian, and he says that the mere act of asking God for anything expresses faith and gratitude. When we pray, grab a hold of this, when we pray, we're acting on a faith that declares that God exists and is listening, that he is good. And that he can be trusted to answer generously and wisely. I love that. Because sometimes I feel like when I'm praying, I'm not really giving much of a faith statement at all. I'm not really acknowledging much of anything other than the fact that I feel like I should do this. But the mere fact that you say just those first two words, our Father, to God, says those three things that you're acknowledging that he's real and that he listens, that he's not just off doing his own thing, unaware of what's going on with you, but that he's listening to you. And that with that, that he's good every single time. And that you expect him to act in a generous and wise manner. That makes my prayers sound a whole heck of a lot better than I feel like they usually do when I'm praying them. When you think about that. 
Every time you pray, you're acknowledging that reality, that God is real, is listening, is good, and that he is going to act in generous and wise ways for you. You're not just blindly grasping, throwing stuff out there at him. You're acknowledging the strongest truths that you can acknowledge about who he is and how much that he loves us. That's a really powerful reality, I think, for us when we pray and what we're saying of God and to God, that we're loved by a generous God. Amen? So with that, the first request that Jesus tells us to ask is, give us this day our daily bread. And for many of us, I think that's one of the most foreign prayers we could ever pray. Because how many of you buy groceries every day? We got one. Yes. Thank you. One. Okay, Jen, maybe every once in a while. I mean, this isn't Europe. We don't have really tiny little refrigerators. You know, we have no need to buy stuff fresh, right? You know, we buy it in bulk. We want big stuff. We go to Price Chopper, Stop and Shop once a week, maybe once every two weeks if we're really good at grocery shopping. And we go on trips, we go to Costco. And we buy big containers of food that would feed a small village for years. And we eat that in a month. Because that's what we do in America. That's how we get our daily bread in bulk, big sizes. So why do I need to pray for my daily bread? What's, what's Jesus getting at here? Does daily even matter, honestly? Does it still apply to us? You know, I think it's helpful sometimes to take a step back and look at things from a Google Earth perspective. So zoom way, way, way far out and start looking at the global way of viewing this prayer. So there's about seven, six to seven billion people in the world, uh, a whole heck of a lot of people. And about somewhere, they estimate around 500 million of those people are currently unemployed. 500 million, that's, that's a good, good chunk. But what's even more astounding is that probably five to seven times that number are underemployed, meaning that every day, they have to choose between which bills to pay. They have to choose between paying the electric bill or having enough food for three meals, or if they're just gonna have to do two meals every day. Maybe one, along with some you know, school lunches and stuff like that. Every day they're choosing between paying their entire rent or being able to pay for their insurance for their kids. Questions like that, that are really, really hard, hard decisions that people have to make. Over half of the people on earth live like that every single day. Half of the people, probably more. And in Jesus' time, first century Roman Empire, almost 90% of the population fit into that category. 90% of people in the Roman Empire lived extremely day-to-day, -day, extremely, where a bad crop could spell disaster for a farmer, where not getting a job as a day laborer for three days in a row might mean that that weekend you were going to fast because you just didn't have the money. Those types of things 
extremely day-to-day, 90%. So for that group in Jesus's time, most of, who Jesus, most of whom Jesus was talking to, and for the over half of the population of the earth today, this prayer, give us today our daily bread, actually is a lot more about desperation in reality than it is about just kind of a nice prayer that Jesus wants you to pray so you can learn to rely on God. It's something you need desperately right then. You're not sure how you're going to make it. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm sure most of us here have been in periods of our life where those kind of questions that I threw out there, where we had to make those types of decisions financially, uh, where we weren't quite sure how everything was going to uh, even out. About eight years ago, I uh, got let go of a job that I had at a credit union, and I was in my, uh, that would have put me somewhere mid-20s, which meant that I didn't have a savings account. How many people have been in your mid-20s and you understand that the money in the checking is what you have? Like, there is no extras. So I got let go, and I was living off of a $200 a month stipend that I got uh, from a church where I was interning. And of course, $200 a month is not actually enough to live off of. Uh, We all know that as well. Even in Ohio, where I was at at that time, that wasn't enough. I was unemployed for about six months at that that time period. And the only reason that I had an, an apartment to live in was that my roommate paid all of our rent for about half of that time. So God provided in that way, hugely, um, because I couldn't have done it. But every month, I was kind of forced to make these decisions. Uh, What can I pay? What can I not pay? How many credit card companies can I ignore uh, when they start calling? Uh, Those sorts of things. Not, Not super fun to be in that place. And I was driving home during that time from a friend's house at about 11 o'clock at night, and my tire went out, just blew. So I pull into a gas station that's closed, and I lost it. You know, sometimes when you're in stressful periods, it, it's not the huge things that get you. It's those little things that you just aren't quite sure you can handle at that moment right then and there. And that's what that tire was for me. So I sat in my car for the next hour, true story, in this closed gas station in a suburban area, probably looked nuts. And I just cried. And I was hitting the steering wheel and like yelling at God and getting out my frustration. My dad had been diagnosed with severe bone cancer about eight months before this. I didn't have the money. My parents didn't have the money, which is all that a 20-year, you know, a 20-something can rely on because they were going through this. And I was just, I, I just lost it. So I sit there in my car, just crying out to God, like, come on, you know, I can't deal with this tire. Like, I know it's not that much money, but right now it's just the last thing that I have the emotional ability to be able to deal with. And for some reason, I remember thinking of that really dumb thing that Christians say to each other when we're in times like that. Uh, something along the lines of, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. (laughs) Don't say that to people. Don't do it. 
You're going to feel pressure at some point to just say something. You just don't wipe that one away. Not helpful. Not helpful. And so I was just in my car, just losing it, hitting my steering wheel, saying, fine, do I need to say that I give? Like, is that what I need to do? I give. I can't handle it. You gave me more than I could handle. I'm done. Fine. It's admitted. It's out there. Can we be done with this? And I sat there, like I said, for honestly an hour. It may have been longer. Uh, then I got out of my car, and I changed the tire, and I went home, and life went on. And eventually, obviously, I got a job. And, and God did provide in ways like my roommate taking care of the rent. Uh, he really did provide in great ways. But it's in those moments that we start to realize the power of saying on a daily basis, give us this day our daily bread. When we start to realize that there are times in our life when we have no choice but to rely on God to provide for us because we've done everything that we can and we still aren't making it and we need to lean into him. Stanley Hauerwas is a theologian and he wrote that abundance, not scarcity, is the mark of God's kingdom. But that abundance must be made manifest through the lives of a people who have discovered that they trust God. Such trust is not an irrational gesture, but rather a witness to the very character of God, that it is possible to live in joyful recognition that God gives us more than we need. Trust in the ability of God to provide when we, what we need when we need it is built in those times. Now, I'm never going to encourage you to ask God to test you, to put you through those times. But I do encourage you to look back at the times when you've seen God provide for you, when you felt like you were teetering on that, it, that edge, just barely able to make it and about ready to fall over when God provided in a variety of ways to start to see those examples of God providing for you, growing his trust, joyfully giving to you. Because in those places, this is built. That reliance is built on him. And I love what Howard Wass says, that we serve a God of abundance, not scarcity. He's not choosing between who to give good things to. He has enough for all of us every time. That's the God that we serve, and he wants to give to us, even when it feels like it might be a little bit too late. It's usually not, but sometimes I understand his timing might seem a little different. And I do think that there's value in asking daily for us. Most of us here probably fit solidly within the middle to upper uh, class, socioeconomic class. Uh, in America, which means that daily bread is not something that we need to worry about quite as much. But I think for us, there's real value in asking for God to provide for us every day, because although we can make it on our own, as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to not try to make it on our own. In order to learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer, in order to learn how to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to learn how to rely on God with each and every part of our lives. And so saying this very, very simple prayer, 
give us today our daily bread. That's what I need today. Allows us to take steps because then we're acknowledging, okay, God, you did it today. I saw you do this thing. And then I have faith that tomorrow you're going to take care of me too. And it's not just based upon my own ability to make it happen. Not based on how good I am at hustling, at just making it. It's based on the generosity and goodness of God in all of life's seasons. The good, the bad, the in-between. That's where that's built. Learning to follow Jesus is about learning that all of life is a gift that requires our willingness to accept what he gives us. That's what following Jesus, that's a big part of what following Jesus is. And I think joyfully, being willing to joyfully accept what Jesus gives us really leads into the next phrase that Jesus gives us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And again, this seems like the most basic thing in the world, right? You know, how many of us prayed a prayer at some point that had most of those words in it? You can raise your hands on that one. How many of us prayed some prayer that said, forgive me because I've done bad things. Thank you, Jesus. Hopefully a lot prettier and longer and whatever. But the gist of it was that. Most of us have. So why do we need to keep praying this over and over and over again? What, what's Jesus getting at here? Well, first, I think that there's just power in acknowledging your sins, acknowledging what you've done and giving it up to Jesus. That something happens when you're willing to be a little bit more specific, maybe not just do a blanket, I'm sorry, God, but give a little bit more specific, this is what I did, and I know it hurt you. I know that it was wrong and releasing that to Jesus and allowing him to take the, the kind of hold that that sin has on you away. It releases it. It starts to bring freedom. And I think in that freedom, we start to know what Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, that he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. New can start to fill up your heart and your life when the old stuff's gone. Giving it up, creates space for the old stuff to leave. And the reality is that every single one of us said, sorry to burst anybody's bubble or to, you know, let the elephant, you know, like acknowledge the elephant in the room or whatever, let the cat out of the bag. How many analogies can we get for that one? Um, but every single one of us sins, me, Pastor Rob, every one of us. We probably all sinned already today. At the very least, we did yesterday. That's just the reality. I don't think many people go more than two days without sinning. Um, I think just even the, the thought that I did go two days without sinning might be sinning in and of itself. So just don't even go there. It's not worth it. Don't, don't let yourself go down that rabbit trail. It's bad. We all do it. I know sin's not a fun subject, not a fun thing to talk about, but it's just the reality. We're broken. We struggle and we need Jesus. And so for those of us who are sinners, who are followers of Jesus, we need to ask Jesus to forgive us. We need to give this up to him regularly so that we can get rid of those things that come in between us. It's a continual process, process of acknowledging our failings, acknowledging our weakness, and allowing the Holy Spirit to come and to bring healing in our hearts. That's what confession and forgiveness is about. And you know, the closer you are to Jesus 
the more you're going to be aware of your sin. That's just, I'm, I've read some amazing, you know, monks that have spent all of their time in prayer and they write about how continuously they feel the need to confess whatever it was that just went on their heart that brought a blockage between them and God. You know, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, I think it is, he has this huge vision of going before the throne of God, right? And in that moment, he says, and this is a guy who was able to see this stuff. I've never seen a vision like that. If I saw a vision like that, I would feel pretty good about myself. Honestly, like, I mean, that's just pretty amazing. It's pretty otherworldly in some ways. But in that moment, he says, uh-oh, God, you got to help me. I'm a sinner. I'm about ready to die. I can't handle this. I can't see this and still live. The closer you are to Jesus, the more aware you are of your sin and the more that you feel a need to cry out for forgiveness. Eugene Peterson says this. He says that sin kills. Sin kills relationship. It kills the soul intimacy that is inherent in the image of God creatures that we are. And the only way to deal with sin is by resurrection. Forgiveness is resurrection, life from the dead. Jesus in his teaching on prayer allows us to have a daily encounter with the reality he knows so well of resurrection. To be able to each day take a bite, to step into the resurrection power that he brings through his death and resurrection on the cross. And in that, he gives us space to step into probably the hardest part of this whole section, to forgive others as we've been forgiven. And there's no denying that that's the hardest part. Asking God to do things, you know, it, it may be hard at times. For the most part, it's probably not that bad. We know that we fail. We're willing to give up that. But forgiving other people when they sin against us is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. Because people hurt us all the time. That's the reality. We hurt other people all the time. It's part of life. Part of being a human is realizing that. So the forgiveness of Jesus is, is really hard to step into. You know, the disciple Peter, he asked Jesus how many times that he had to forgive someone. What's interesting is if you look at the original language, when he says, you know, how many times do I have to forgive someone seven times? He's not saying, how many times do I have to forgive people in general who sin against me? That'd be a good question. That'd be fine. But he's not saying that. He's not saying, how many times do I have to forgive the same person who sins against me in a hundred different ways? He's saying, how many times do I have to forgive the same person who sins against me in the exact same way? That's hard. You know what Jesus' answer is? It's brutal. He says, depending on the translation, either 77 times or 70 times 7. Either way, enough times that it's going to be really painful, that it's going to hurt, that it's going to be really frustrating, and that you're not going to want to do it. Forgive others as you are forgiven, even when it kind of sucks, when it hurts, when it digs in, when it's the same person doing the same thing to you over and over and over and over again pushing that button continuously, and we're still called to forgive them. Now, that doesn't mean to just 
forget what they've done. It doesn't mean that we just kind of whitewash it and pretend like it wasn't that bad. Uh, It doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to be abused. It doesn't even mean that we force our forgiveness on them to prove once and for all that we are the better person. Although all of those may be reactions that we have at times, but that's not what it means. It simply means to forgive, to give it up to Jesus. This is all a prayer to God, not a prayer to each other. So help us to forgive as we have been forgiven, to give it up to you, Jesus, for you to take and to deal with it and to work in it and to teach us how to follow you in that way. So as we come to an end of this part of our our morning, I want to give us a chance to confess. Does that sound fun? Yeah. I think it's important, though. We don't do this a lot. Um, Some other uh, more liturgical style of churches uh, do confession a lot. But I think there's some real power in, again, as a church body, confessing the reality of who we are and what we need to give up to Jesus. So I want to invite us to do this this morning. You know, the only one who's holy is the one that we ask for forgiveness. Everybody else is on the same, is in the same spot that you are. We're all struggling together. And this is a prayer for all who follow Jesus, not just beginners. And I just want to invite you in your seat, if you want to stand, sit, kneel, put your hands out, however you want to do it. This is your time. But we're going to read the prayer that's on the the screens together and pray this together. And I just, I'm going to leave a few seconds at the end for some silence. It might feel like a ton of seconds. might feel really long. That's fine. Uh, Just for us to kind of do business with Jesus in this way this morning. Does that sound okay? So let's pray. Our Father, we have sinned. We have ignored and turned away from you. We have mistreated others. We have turned to unholy things for comfort and escape. We have relied on ourselves instead of turning to you. We are sorry, and we ask for your grace. Have mercy on us and forgive us. Restore us. Heal us. We ask this through the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Usually we invite people up for prayer at the end, and uh, I'm going to, instead of asking for permission, I'm going to ask for forgiveness later, (laughs) Rob. Um, But I want to switch that up a little bit this morning. And I want to invite people to come up for prayer now, um, because I think it's good in this space to ask God for what we need. I think God wants to answer that prayer this morning. So I would just want to invite you up. If you're sitting there and you're saying, God, I need my daily bread in this way. I need a job. I need a better job. Um, my finances are not in a comfortable place. My health is not in a good place. I need you to work in my life, bring healing to my body. Lots of different things that it could be. But if you're saying this morning, give us this day, our daily bread is important to you and you want to engage with that, you want Jesus to come and to bring real provision to your life, I want to invite you to come up and to receive prayer. And I think with something like this, there's usually two groups. There's one who wants somebody else to pray with them and the other who wants to do it on their own. Do business with Jesus, I like to say. And that's good. So 
If you want somebody to pray with you about this, I'll invite you to come over to where Ron's at, over to this side, and somebody will pray with you. And if you're just saying, I just kind of need to do business with Jesus on my own, I just need to bring this to him and ask him to move, kind of the rest of this half is all your free space. Come on up and fill it. So with that, I'll just welcome you. If that's you, if there's a need you have, start to come on up. We'd love to pray with you uh, and just really see the Holy Spirit bring provision in your life.